Hey everyone, welcome back to the Proof of Coverage podcast. Today we're branching a bit outside of our decentralized wireless routes to go into the larger decentralized physical infrastructure network space, a space that's commonly been named DPIN. We interviewed Rob Solomon, who's a co-founder at Demo, and Demo is essentially a DPIN protocol that has hardware and software connections for your car that allows users to get more and better data from their vehicles, like how much gas they have in the tank, how many miles they've driven, et cetera, and then also monetize that to app developers that are building on their platform. So super interesting project. And I interviewed Rob here today with my colleague, Sal. Sal, how are you doing? Hey, Connor, how are you? I'm great. What, what would you say is some of the most interesting kind of topics or things that, that Rob covered today when we were talking with him? The thing that's really unique about Demo compared to a lot of the deep end projects that we've talked about on the show before is really how personal it is. Like you're getting information about your, you know, your own car, your own driving behavior. And there's this tight loop between like the data you can get and actually changing, you know, either changing your behaviors or finding some better products for you based on that. Rob talks us through some of the things they have planned around like car sharing or under decentralized Uber, smart contract insurance, like a lot of products that can be made a whole lot better just by, you know, interoperability and permissionless and some of the things that things that we think that crypto can can bring to real world usage. So excited to to have Rob with us here today. Yeah, absolutely. Building off that, I think what's super interesting about Demo, especially when you compare them to other kind of deep in protocols that have been around the space for longer, like Helium, is that the contributor here is also the user. The way you contribute to the Demo network is you either connect your car via software app or via hardware device. And instead of just doing that and allowing that data to be used by third parties, you know, you can actually get some benefit from it yourself. I think that will be kind of a trend for deep in protocols that have success, especially in the spare market is like, how can you provide value to contributors besides just token incentives? So super excited to, to talk to Rob here. And with that, we can kick off the episode. All right. Hey, guys. What's up, Rob? How you doing? Good. Recording here on March 10th. Got some pretty crazy news about Silvergate and Silicon Valley Bank. I'm sure you wouldn't be here right now if Dima wasn't okay, but just reassure our listeners a bit. You guys are all fine and funds are safe. Yeah, we're fine in this one. Um, you know, learned the hard way personally with FTX, just how, you know, even if you're not in FTX, the service that you use could be impacted by another service and by another service that's impacted by FTX. So we'll stay on top of that, but we're, we're okay. Yeah, no, it's, Great to hear. Guess we'll see how it all plays out. But we're here today to talk about your project, Demo. Talk a bit about you, get to know you and the team. So if you could just start by giving us a bit about your background, what got you into crypto, and then also, you know, why'd you choose to to build Demo within crypto? My first job out of college, Andy, the CEO, and I actually worked together on what's called the Downtown Project in Las Vegas, and it was a sister company of Zappos revitalizing downtown. Las Vegas. And we implemented Holacracy while I was there, which I wouldn't recommend as a way to operate a business. But the the broad strokes are decentralized organization, no hierarchy or different type of hierarchy, circles where work is getting done, decision making is pushed to the you know people 
interacting directly with customers or whatever. Right. Look, I, I think that's a flawed, I think there's, I think there's gaps in that system and it struggles at scale, but there's something to it that was really exciting to me about dynamic decentralized systems. I mean, they, they work like you could city economies, they're decentralized systems. There's decentralized movements like Ethereum and Linux, Wikipedia that work. You just have to put together right. the right system that has all the feedback loops and incentives and mechanisms in place the right way. So you can kind of see where I'm going with this. I, I, I left there, started working for Vroom.com, but I was still really kind of uh, struck by the idea of working in systems design and decentralized systems. And so when I came across Ethereum, got very excited about that, was going to meetups and eventually, you know, I couldn't make it not my full-time thing. So I made the move to consensus in 2017. I spent four years at consensus, saw a lot of different chapters of consensus, a lot of different chapters of blockchain yeah. uh, through that lens. So yeah, that was a good experience. I was there. I was happy. still love consensus, but I uh, got back in touch with Andy, Alex, and Yev, who are the other co-founders of Demo, and was hearing a bit about what they're working on and was just kind of like too, too interested in, in what this project could be to not leave and come work on it. Because I saw a real application for the blockchain as the distributed ledger on which the infrastructure is built, saw a real use for the token, uh, a better way to build a network that's more fair for everybody and really wanted to be a part of, you know, I believed in this industry and this technology for so long, wanted to be a part of showing people how it actually, you know, can be more, I'm not knocking other use cases, but really wanted to be a part of a use case that wasn't, you know, a crypto app that makes another crypto app better or something like that, <laughs> but something that's actually touching the real world in a way. And so I uh, couldn't, yeah, I couldn't not come work on Demo. Yeah, no, absolutely. You talked a bit about your other three co-founders. If you could just give us like a 30 second, you know, spiel on each of them, maybe their, their yeah. relevant experience and like why you guys are the right people to build Demo. And that's, that's the other thing that I felt really good about joining was we have kind of extreme and relevant diversity of like backgrounds, skill sets, personalities that, that keeps mm -hmm. us in a good spot. So Andy is CEO. He first started Nemo as a way for a parking garage to map itself, set up sensors, and speak to self-driving cars that could self-LA. COVID kind of killed that idea because no one was driving or parking or huh. anything. There were actually some contracts lined up. That was the direction he was going to head. And he was working on that because previously he had worked at Transdev, massive operator of shuttles, self-driving vehicles, super shuttle from the airport, you know, all kinds of stuff. They do buses, bus operations, things like that. You know, if the, if the car companies or, or Waymo are like the, you know, Boeing, Transdev is like the Delta Airlines that like flies the plane. They operate it, you know, they, they do the dispatch and operations. So he was, so he has deep experience there, deep transportation experience. When we were working together in Las Vegas, he was starting a Tesla car share project and installing electrical infrastructure and charging stations and helping to buy Teslas and make them so you could enter with a key card. He first started, the first person he pulled in was Yev. Yev has a background from GM OnStar, Ford, Mitsubishi, Volkswagen, either working directly for them or through contractors, connecting over 10 million cars to the internet, some autonomous vehicle stuff, very deep tech background. So we have the kind of automotive OEM engineering side covered, transportation yep. operations side covered. I cover blockchain and vehicle commerce through my experience at Vroom. And Alex comes from chain analysis and has deep chain operations and B2B sales experience as well. So yeah, the founding team rounded up pretty well. We have some great senior talent on the team. 
as well, some good advisors. We have great investors in Digital Infrastructure Inc., the the Delaware Corp that is doing a lot of development and builds the mobile app, including you know ex CEOs of major automakers and folks from Helium and other blockchain projects. And so, yeah, great network of people doing good work. Rob, who, who's the best poker player among all of you? Poker player. We've never played <laughs> poker together. Really? Yeah. Also, really. money playing playing poker to Andy. Really? Yeah. The last few times I've played, I've done very well and gotten pretty lucky, but I don't know anything about like actual poker strategy. Uh, just totally winging it. So. All right. Uh, so I got to play against you next time. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Get him to the table. Yeah. Well, cool. So we talked about you know your background experience along with like the rest of the teams i haven't talked about demo itself yet so i want to do kind of like a problem solution type little segment here where we talk about what the vehicle data industry looks like today kind of pain points problems and then how demo solves those and is you know working towards building a better infrastructure and and platform for vehicle data i i I use the example all the time of like the progression of landline of phones from landline to flip phone to like early smartphone to like iPhones. And I think, you know, cars are kind of in the, a lot of them are in like the landline phase still, you know, more modern cars that have, you know, connectivity, modern, you know, Fords and Volkswagens and BMWs. I would give them, I put them in the flip phone category. It was a major innovation from landlines. Now it's mobile. You know, there, there's, there's some, cellular connectivity there. I'd give Mm -hmm. Tesla the title of like the Blackberry, you know, it's got like much deeper, it's doing, it's doing over the air updates that make your car faster. Like it's, it's got, you know, Tesla insurance, it's got all kinds of cool things that you can do with that connectivity company, you know, and a car company together. Right. So yeah, give that the Blackberry title. The reason I don't give it the, the title of iPhone in the kind of progression of the evolution of the automotive industry is iPhone has an app store. Anybody can quickly build an app for an iPhone. Those apps can work across iPhones and Androids. It may, it may be better to use like the analogy of Android and iPhone together. This ability to kind of like quickly deploy across, tap into the, the hardware on the device. Oh, I want to build an app that uses the accelerometer and the GPS and the microphones and the speakers in that app and the beautiful OLED screens and you know all yeah. of that plugs into external devices, connects to a you know Chromecast and your TV. Like that's what the the modern smartphone does and cars are not there yet. And so as it relates to capturing data, sure. Like some OEMs technically have a pipeline to that data. They're not always doing anything with it. And it's certainly not open. It's very siloed. So yeah, we're building that, what I would call that kind of like open ecosystem on which you can build applications. And if you call like what did, what did apps look like on phones prior to app stores, right? It was like a camera, maybe like bad, bad photos, like snake as like a game you could play on your phone, you know, right. maybe solitaire, you know, Blackberry had a browser, but like, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't angry birds, you know, that wasn't possible. So we think that not only will there be a ton of obvious things you can do once you, you know, like, oh, insurance, but better, you know, financing, but better find your car, you know, that kind of stuff. But there'll be a ton of non-obvious things, just the same way that you, there were a lot of apps that we're now very used to. The, trying to you know explain a, a dating app to somebody with a flip phone. It's just like, it, 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 you couldn't really just get there logically until you, know, you were kind of led along the path of seeing what was possible with this new tech. So I think there's going to be a lot of very creative combinations of applications that just 
previously not possible. Vehicles talking to other vehicles and sensors and paying for things and connecting to apps that combine with other apps to let you subscribe to a car in a way that you can't, you know, and, and insure it and drive it on, you know, web through Uber and split the financing and do all these things that you just like really couldn't do without deeper integration and, and more automation. I think the car industry in particular too, you know, when you even using the, the phone analogy again with mobile phones, uh, you have the phone, you have the, the carrier and you have a relationship with it too. With cars, it's like, well, there's the automaker and they have the warranty and then you go to the used car dealer and you buy from them, but then you finance with this other company and you, you do insurance with this other company and you take the title to the DM. There's like 10 parties to every transaction, so much paper, faxing things around. I can tell you, it's like, you might think that it's more organized behind the scenes because that's how like, you know, Amazon and other things are. Uh, being from the room side, like there's a lot of just like physical paper that has to be picked up, taken, put somewhere else, like filed, digitized, sent, written back down, like printed back out, signed, you know, sent somewhere else. Like it's just, it's just a very clunky, it's a clunky space. And there's a lot of efficiency to be gained by digitizing a lot of this. And it doesn't take a very big percentage improvement in efficiency to result in hundreds of dollars of savings when you're talking about selling a car for 30 grand. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, I mean, getting into the weeds a bit more in terms of explaining what, like how, you know, the solution from DMO is actually actualized. It seems like users or contributors or both would connect their car via kind of either a software application if their car is newer or a hardware device from DMOX AutoPi. Um, what, what data is that collecting? Are, are those two types of connections collecting? And, you know, who would that be useful to, I guess, besides the the user themselves, just knowing more about their car? Yeah. Well, this definitely exists along a spectrum. Like we're, we're collecting the least amount of data we ever will today. And we'll only right. collect more over time. The, the device that the, the autopilot device that you can buy now, I think collects like 170 different data points. It can get you can get a ton off your car. It depends on the make, exactly which things it can get. Some things don't run over the CAN bus. It depends on the, the car. But it all kind of comes through as raw, undecoded information that has to be decoded. And we've deployed sets that allow us to decode things like VIN, odometer, so not perfect for all makes, um, and uh, fuel levels, things like that. Some of those things are more standardized. It's more easy to deploy. Other things like, you know, windshield wipers on 2014 Toyotas might require a bit more, you know, a little bit less standard might require, you know, community efforts and, and integrating with others to do that decoding. But then once it's decoded, it's like, you know, it's decoded. And a lot of them, that signal would probably be the same for the 2015 and 2016 and maybe for a bunch of other Toyotas as well. So it's not just like every single thing has to be done for every single car, but, and then those templates can be applied over the air to the existing Autopy. So we'll just keep expanding the accuracy and amount of data that, that users are able to get over time. And not and not just more data, but more connectivity as well. Like we so we're talking about talking with Autopy about how we might be able to sell a dongle. Because you look at those devices, there's USB ports in it. Uh, sell a dongle that would allow you to lock and unlock your car. You just like pick the one that has the template for Mercedes or Ford or whatever and you program it. And then now you can like in the app lock and unlock your car that doesn't even have that functionality from a thousand miles away. You could do it, you know, just in the app, which is cool for you. It's cool. If you're, you know, your son's driving the car and gets locked out and you can, you know, unlock it from, from home. It's even cooler if you're like a Turo, you know, or a fleet operator who has a hundred cars and 
you know, Turo, the guy's like, I'm at the airport, I'm ready to pick up the car. And you say, cool, you unlocked it. I mean, even better in that example too, would be that you share the car with them via a smart contract, which gives them the ability to lock and unlock it themselves at the time the reservation started, but we'll, we'll get into that one. But yeah, so all that stuff can be built on top of it. Dash cams, other types of devices can be integrated with the device and, and can, you know, we can start to pull in new and other types of data. We're not limited to just, you know, like mileage and, and VIN, right? We're going to just keep adding more and more data to the platform over time. Yeah, that uh, decoding slash templating exercise that sounds like it could be done by the community and yeah. would be like a do it once and it's kind of fixed or set up forever. Great like target gra- for bounties. Great grant. Great yeah. grant slash um, bounty. We've talked in the past too about like maybe if your car is not decoded, your rewards are slightly less and, and that little gap goes into a pool to fund the bounty for the yeah. person who decodes. It. So the first, so that, that it gets more and more attractive over time. And there's a link between the number of cars that could benefit from it to the the attractiveness of that that bounty. One idea. Uh, but this yeah. is the uh, the GigaBrain tokenomics that we, yeah, we had Rob exactly. on the pod for. I yeah. like that idea. That was that that I have to give credit to uh, to one of our first first front end engineers who came up with that idea. But yeah, yeah. So, I mean, speaking about just tokenomics and interesting ideas there, what motivated you guys to use a token with your project? You know, why not just go with some kind of USD or USDC? payments as an incentive like what what's the point of the token you know what, what do you see it's it's use being a few things one we're fans of helium like we were we were mining helium the, the story the story was kind of and, and this is where i this is i kind of talked about this a little bit but this is where i came in was andy and yev were engaged on some consulting project where the client wanted electric vehicle battery data and they tried to buy it and they just like couldn't get it anywhere companies like we join autonomous that sell car data, but they're getting that from the OEMs they're restricting what they can sell. They don't get everything. They definitely can't build like, it's not like an app platform. And so they, they were trying to get battery data and they couldn't, and they were going to get these, they found Autopy. They got a couple of devices and their idea was to pay people to just plug them in for a while to record data. And it was like, and they're also mining helium at the same time. So they're like, eventually <laughs> kind of put two and two together, called me up. I came yeah. in like, there's definitely something here. Let's, let's use this model in this area. And, and the idea is like, why stop at electric vehicle battery data? This could be used for, this could power the entire like automotive mobility world. And it's, it's an industry that's very ripe for an upgrade. And, and these are the rails that it should be built on. So that's kind of the genesis. Couple of things on why a token, it's practical. Helium showed how you can, like it's, it's tough to build a two-sided network. It's hard to build supply without demand, hard to build demand without supply. You don't wanna to go to a grocery store with no food. They don't want to, people don't want to sell their food to grocery store to sell if no one's going there. So it's like, how do you start this? It's kind of a cold start problem. Helium showed, all right, you use a token to build up the supply side. The supply side becomes very attractive to the demand side because now you have comprehensive coverage of something. So you can kind of solve that, that marketplace dynamics start problem with it. I think in our case, one benefit that we have is 10 cars connected to the network is useful. You can start doing things with them immediately. Whereas a wireless network requires like gap-free coverage in a lot of cases to be useful to anybody. So it requires getting to like full-on scale to even see if you've got something that people care about. So that is something that we emphasize a lot is let's make it, let's, let's do everything we can to develop the app ecosystem such that it's useful for people beyond the token as soon as possible. And we can validate that there's you know demand for this, this supply of vehicle data and connectivity that we're building up. Um, the other side of it is, and, and, and like, okay, of course it's practical to build it that way, but it's also, in my opinion, 
more fair, more ethical to build it this way. Let's like take, let's not even use demo for a second. Use like one other popular area of lots of people's attention is like the metaverse, right? And, you know, imagine like a VR world and people are building it out together and building apps and, and so on. Like that might be a place that people spend time in. I don't know. I like Ready Player One. It's a fun, fun book to read. Yeah. And you think about it, like who should control this? And, and, and how, like, how should it, where should the value accrue? Where should the decision-making be? Like, do you want to live in a world where we all go to school in the metaverse and interact in the metaverse and it's like entirely owned by Mark Zuckerberg? Um, and we, we all put in hours and hours in, you know, some people, their lives into like building out applications and things to do in there. And it's like not their property at all. And it can just be taken away from them. Or is it more fair to reward the contributors and invest the control in a diverse group of people who are aligned with the platform? Right. So just generally this, this model, I, I'm hoping that one thing that blockchain can help to solve is this model of like startups giving away so much of the upside and the equity to investors who then, then the startups turn around, take that money and just burn through it with customer acquisition. Just marketing that's that's that money's gone. It, it's not in the hand, like it's not value that's in the user's hands anymore. It's not value that the company retains. All it is is to get people like onto the network, right? And then you end up in a place where the the platform is very valuable. It's controlled by investors who don't use or build the platform. And then you have the stakeholders who have no say or control. I think I think this model where you use a token, you vest the control in the stakeholders who are kind of key in using it is just a more fair way to build systems. So that's that's the other major part of the reason for doing it this way. Kind of balancing out the control is going to be something that needs to be considered over time. We don't want it to be only drivers or only automakers or only insurance companies that have a say in how Demo works. So that's going to be a topic of governance and distribution going forward is how do we make sure that there is proper balance between the different you know stakeholders in the ecosystem, such that they all feel comfortable with you know building on and using this platform. But yeah, Rob, you've been building a crypto for a while, and you know, given everything that's going on today with SVB and and FTX over the past couple of months, like, does it feel like building like being a crypto entrepreneur right now is like easier or harder than being a regular entrepreneur? Just curious, like, how, how does it you know the, the idea is that it's easier to build a network and bring a community and everything else behind you, but yeah, just given the realities of operating, I know there's it's like. Yeah, it, there's a bunch of extra challenges that come with being uh, being in crypto and trying to build something in the real world. So just curious to how you feel about it today. Yeah, I'll say it's definitely harder than it was a few years ago, but harder than being like a, an entrepreneur building a non-blockchain project. I don't know. I, I actually would probably say it's still better because we have these new tools. We have a lot of excitement and attention. It's not, you know, there's, it's died down a little bit. You can say like NFTs are, you know, dead because they're down 90%. But you can also say like, yeah, but what is a picture of a rock that was generated pretty quickly to establish a community actually worth? Like maybe, maybe it is, maybe it should be $10, you know, like, and, and, and I, and I think that's a lot of the reason people had this reaction to kind of the industry and NFTs is, is because they were trading for 35 grand and it's like obscene amounts of money. It's, it's, it's offensive to people who can't afford these types of things that people are spending this on like, you know, pet rocks and things like that online. And of course they want to hate it, but it's still very powerful technology and, and to, you know, organize a community around art and things like that. And, and to even have a value of 30 bucks each is still like really, you know, something. So point being, yes, it's, it's, it's not as it's not just like, here's a white paper, I'm going to do an ICO and raise $200 million 
and then just chill for several years like and 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 fly around and sponsor parties with tiesto at crypto conferences like that is not you know that's not quite as easy to do as it was a few years ago but in terms of a lot of excitement people being very bought in to your project having resources to be able to build exciting industry space like it's still probably it's probably easier than starting like another doordash competitor you know the spaces are more crowded there's there's less room for error and that kind of stuff so yeah i would i would still encourage people to get started to build in the space even in the worst bear market sometimes it's better in the bear market Rob, one more question for you, more on the technical side of how you guys have chosen to structure the demo token. I think you know you guys mentioned Helium as an inspiration. Like a lot of the networks that have are trying to tie to real world usage have tried to go for a dual token system where they kind of have one token that expires and or is fixed in terms of uh, price or utility sort of in the real world, and then another token that's meant to like accrue all the governance and appreciation and you know all the all other sorts of things that we hope tokens can will and can do over time. Why you guys, have, from what I understand, have chosen to go for a single token system? How did y'all think through that? Yeah, so, well, I would say, and actually, I, I would, I'll link this and maybe you guys put it in the show notes or something. I put together like a nine page. It's, it's I guess only if you're really interested. In, we'll, we'll, we'll work on, on ways of synthesizing this. Maybe we'll use ChatGPT or something to make this a quicker read. But nine page thing on, on all thoughts tokenomics from principles to different mechanisms you have of how you issue it to you know burn mint dual token systems that kind of thing and I, I do have a section in there and and what I say is well first first I establish that that demo and other projects like it should not try to be Bitcoin and it should not try to establish all of the rules at one immaculate Genesis point and then never change the system ever again. We, you know, demo exists in a dynamic environment and it has governance. It's, it's not meant to be, you know, uh, digital gold that is like predictable for the next thousand years. It's meant to be something that's used to shepherd a dynamic protocol. So the tokenomics can and should change over time as, as the token holders, you know, decide and, and I lay out what I think are good principles for, you know, what would be good things to evolve in the future. I do mention specifically yeah, that that case. In the case of Helium and in HiveMapper and a lot of other kind of deep end projects, there is a specific like unit of thing that you're getting, whether it's like a packet or a photo of a street or something like that. In the case, and, and, and you can kind of like ascribe a universal value to that, like commodity value to it. I, I, I talk in there about how you could do the same with Demo. You could establish, you know, kind of a canonical price for various data streams, like you know, this is what location costs versus this is what a lock unlock command costs, or what it costs to subscribe to the ability to lock unlock the car. So there, there could be like a fixed amount for that. Right now, to simplify things in the early days and, and kind of allow room for some competition and discovery in the space, the concept is that node operators like Digital Infrastructure Inc. that can store your data for you and sell it on your behalf per the opt-in that you do when you use the mobile app. Right now, there's just one, but in the future, ideally, there's, there's many, can act almost like a co-op for you that are, you know, the way the, the way the relationship is structured, they're trying to get the best deal they possibly can for your data. In some cases, for some uses, it's not going to be, they may not be looking at the same price, but it's still worthwhile to share that. In other cases, it might be powering, you know, $100,000 transactions and you can justify better rates for that. So, we haven't gone with like a specific hard coded. It's twenty five cents to get you know vehicle location per car yet, but that could be done in the future. And I would say it should be considered in the future. Certainly, once the network's more mature and we're better better sense for the use cases. 
Um, in a world where that is the case, yeah, it probably would make sense to have like a data credit like system. There's nothing magical about it. Like you, you could, and, and Helium actually has, as they call this, the implicit burn, where you can just directly spend Helium. You don't need data credits. They just like calculate data credits and burn them in the background. But even that, you don't, you know, that that's also kind of a, a vestige from them having their own L1 and, and not having like stable tokens on there. So like you could theoretically use, because if, if, a, if a map credit for Helium is always worth two cents, then you could just use two cents as the thing that you convert into. The benefit of a data credit is that now you're locked into spending it in that ecosystem. You can't just like take it and, and go do something else with it. But 100%, that, that could be added in the future, not opposed to it at all. A lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of decisions about, I guess I could say about the tokenomics, there's not too many decisions that were made that were meant to be, you know, it has to be this way. We hate every other option and it's very important that it's this way. I would say, Things that we really did care about was that there wasn't an incentive for people to be driving around at three in the morning and loops around their cul-de-sac, just burning gas and wasting their time. It was not valuable for anybody. Yeah. So that was why the beginning of the decision on, that was why the decision was made on uh, uh, every week issuance. And the other thing is, um, and I, I know this was a topic, a question that was raised on Twitter was kind of like why EVM and not uh, I'm not a, I'm not a hater of Solana by any means. I, granted, I'm probably a little bit biased from spending all these years at consensus, but um, I'm totally uh, ready to acknowledge when ecosystem moves in a different direction. If it's not not on Ethereum, the reason that we ultimately decided to go on the EVM side was, uh, and this is something that I kind of saw while I was at consensus. You, you kind of gain an appreciation over time for just the amount of infrastructure required to build anything. When I was new at consensus, we were building a lot of consumer applications, and they're like the developer SDKs, the the wallets, the the indexers, like everything just like it wasn't quite there. It was so hard to build anything useful because you had to interact so directly with the blockchain. Um, and just kind of seeing this infrastructure built over up over time, enabling more and more things, start to gain an appreciation for what that infrastructure is worth. And the amount of infrastructure and developer attention and smart contracts you can fork and things like that and apps front ends that, that, you know, support EVM chains and will support EVM chains very quickly after they're launched was super appealing. So that was ultimately behind the decision to go with Ethereum and Polygon. Being multi-chain with Solana is definitely not out of the question, but it's definitely harder given the, given the just programming language. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a good segue to jump to a couple of questions from our audience on Twitter. So you covered one, which was like, why EVM, not Solana, which a lot of other deep in protocols have, have seemed to have chosen as, as their home. Another one that we thought was pretty interesting was actually from my dad. So I've got a demo device in his truck and a couple other uh, family members as well. But he, he was asking basically for an individual that connects their car via software or hardware, you know, how is their data handled for privacy purposes? And then what control do they have over how their data is, is used and monetized? Yeah. So, I mean, I wish I wish you ever on to talk more about like the the technical aspects of how it's stored. I mean, I think we're using kind of best in industry practices around like security and encryption and had security audits and things like that. So I don't think we're any any different than any other app you've used in terms of how we handle data. And we've done you know security audits on the device as well. Um, privacy is a focal point for the product and in control of your own data is something that is is kind of core to the identity of demo so right now digital infrastructure inc is the like one licensed node operator to store user data 
and, and serve it up. And the when you use the app and connect a car today, there's a screen that shows you, here are the things that you're allowing Digital Infrastructure Inc. to share, aggregate and anonymize. So what that means is like, we can say, here's how all the Teslas in you know, the Northeast are doing battery-wise in the winter. You know, there's a thousand of them. And on average, this is what it looks like. We can't show them, here's Connor's house where he parks his car. Like, <laughs> you know, that's that would be not aggregate and, and, not, and not anonymized. So right. what people are opting into is like the inclusion of their data in stats on fueling and charging habits and the performance of, you know, various things. We can maybe predict recalls ahead of time, like that kind of stuff with that. That can definitely expand. That doesn't mean every application, you know, will only ask for those permissions. Some applications, an insurance application might ask for, you know, direct connection to your data. You have the ability to share now in the app. You can share your car, individual car data with any zero X address that you want to add to it. We went to eat Denver. We shared the Ford Bronco with 16,000 people so they could follow our location and see our fuel level and tire pressure. Did not give them the lock unlock command so they couldn't steal the car. Can't do that. So users are in control that way and 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 will always kind of have that opt-in ability and control. And in the future, we, you know, like Ethereum, like other other protocols, like email even. Like email, you can store your emails with Gmail or Outlook or something like that. We want to get to that future where you can decide which license node operator you want to store your data with, maybe even store the data yourself or store it in IPFS. Ultimately, you know, you should be in control of it and control how it's accessed, but it should still be verifiable and complete when you're interacting with applications. So that's kind of the guiding principle on the engineering side. Um, you're able to set privacy zones in the app. So, and these are areas where if your data is ever used on location, you'll still be able to see your car like in the app and we'll still show that. But if you go to share it with like with a third-party application, we'll lop off some of the flat long decimals so they can just see like a radius of where you are. If, if that's like, you know, that, that's one particular thing you can censor. Location probably is the most sensitive thing. I don't think people really care if their tire pressure is, is out there, but yeah, that's, that's, that's going to be a continued area of emphasis and um, something we care a lot about. Awesome. Well, good to hear. I will definitely communicate to that that to him. Um, one kind of last big topic I wanted to hit was around governance and tokenomics. So recently, there's been a lot of tough news, I think, in, in tech and crypto broadly, but also kind of in our deep in space. So I don't think it's kind of a, f- a full-fledged rug pull. You know, there's still some value to the PCN Pollen token, but basically Pollen Mobile was a, a DY protocol was building on CBRS, kind of like a helium competitor. And they had incentivized the community to spend millions of dollars, hundreds of hours to build out a, you know, fledgling cellular network. They then decided to take USD payments, which I think is great, but then not really accrue any of that USD denominated demand, you know, to their token. So the token is maybe not worthless, but worth substantially less than People thought it could have been. I think it's kind of capped. The upside is capped at ten cents. So, what you know would you say about how Demo structured the entities that make up Demo and the ecosystem that would you know calm the fears of of anyone in Deepin or in crypto yeah. broadly about what's just happened? It's a good question, and and I, and I guess if there's good to to come out of all this, it's that I, I do think communities should demand you know, transparency and, and demand answers these questions of any project that they're going to put any of their you know time and effort into. Most projects do are, are kind of converging on a model which which we have largely followed and, and leaned into, which is which is helpful from like, you know, from a bunch of angles, but but particularly helpful on this 
on kind of what you're raising here. So I'm somewhat familiar with, with what you're talking about with pollen, but I also don't want to drag them more or, or, or get something wrong there. So I'll try to make it more about demo and what I believe is the difference between what we, we've done and, and what I think they've done. But with Demo, Digital Infrastructure Inc. started to develop, you know, traditional corporation started to develop the intellectual property behind behind Demo, and and this is where and, and and you know typically when you build a company like that's where the assets live, that's what you monetize. The equity in that business is is what you're focused on. It, it all you know in every aspect of the project, right? And what's different with blockchain projects is we're trying to build both a, a protocol and a platform that developers can build on. And then we're also trying to build apps on top of it. So Digital Infrastructure Inc. wants there to be a thriving app ecosystem built on top of the Demo protocol, but for a bunch of reasons, including you know conflicts of interest and an inability to guarantee to the community all of the things that we would, they would want or need guaranteed to feel comfortable building on this, having everything in the Delaware C Corp is not, you know, presents some conflicts of interest, presents some challenges that are best avoided. So the Demo Foundation was established. It's a nonprofit. The the entire token treasury, including the, so there was an amount distributed to insiders, 30% of the total network, which is slightly below average. Most projects we found did 35 to 40% allocated to the the team and investors that kind of first booted things off, allocated 70%, 700 million tokens to the Demo Foundation. Also transferred all of the core IP. So not all IP, but like, you know, the brand demo, the smart contracts, the kind of infrastructure stuff was transferred to the foundation. Digital Infrastructure Inc. still develops the mobile app, for example, but everything else is demo foundation and licensed back for, you know, to the C Corp to develop like the mobile app and use the name in the mobile app and things like that. And, and, and here's where I think that it's, it's very important is it is a nonprofit. The directors of that nonprofit are onshore Cayman professionals who are are on the who are directors of many other you know the best like crypto projects working with the best lawyers over there, very strict memorandums and articles bylaws for that and the terms of the agreement the terms of the bylaws say and that foundation is is explicitly barred from giving the IP back to Digital Infrastructure Inc. The token holder in the in the bylaws it actually references the governance protocols and, and how the token holders can vote to remove directors, you know, from the foundation. So a lot of these things that you know, I would think about, like, how could we, and I'm not going to speak to the specific pollen situation, but like, would it be possible for Demo to go back and say, never mind, we're not going to do things this way. And the licensing and tokenomics have changed. Like digital infrastructure Inc. doesn't have the ability to do that because it's, it's not, their property. It's not their thing to decide. It's the, it's the decision of token holders. Digital infrastructure Inc. has a lot of tokens, like the, 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 the team, the, the investors and so on have a lot of tokens. There's, there's restrictions, you know, no, no individual person per the governance protocol can vote with more than 5% of the circulating supply. If they do, it's just disregarded uh, from the totals. So there's some decentralization there, and this is going to become more and more decentralized over time. Part of the idea is progressive decentralization, but we, mm -hmm. we, we did everything that we possibly could to put legal guardrails in place. And, and it's not just, it's not just because, you know, we, we, we did this for selfish reasons. Like we want people, people will not build on platforms and, and commit to being a part of standards and things like that. If they feel like the, the terms can be changed quickly on them, you'd probably be a lot more likely to build apps on top of Twitter. If it wasn't a risk that they could just revoke your API access overnight, they didn't like you anymore. 
right? Yep. So we want to give automakers, insurance companies, everybody kind of like full comfort. That, that's one of the guys, it's listed in my, my documents and one of the guiding principles, full comfort that you can, you can build here and, and be an owner, not a renter. Like you can, you can really build on that infrastructure and feel much more confident with what you have and an ecosystem built this way. So that's, that's not only a good way to build a protocol. It's like, it's the only way that Demo could succeed is if automakers feel like they can embrace this and the rug won't be pulled out from underneath them. So we've taken every step we possibly can to make sure it's not even possible for that type of thing to happen. So yeah, that that's, you know, if anybody has any other feedback or ideas on it too, there's always the, the Discord and, and places for people to come in and chat about it. Because again, it's not even just one company deciding all this. It's a community has control over how this will work long-term. Yeah, can't be evil, not don't be evil. Yeah, um. yeah, yeah, that's, that's a, that's a, yeah, uh, I love that one. Crypto, crypto projects have that, that benefit of having the, being able to throw away the key, you know? Absolutely. The key. I mean, yeah. last, last question for you here is looking forward to the future. What are some additional features you're excited about the team shipping? It can be anything from you know, features on the app, new applications on the developer platform, new pieces of hardware, software, um, yeah. just anything you'd like to highlight. Uh, well, I guess, yeah, there's, there's demo, like the, the protocol layer and there's demo, like the apps built on top of it. So on the protocol side, there's a lot that I think needs to exist and we're working on and, and we'll, we'll solicit, you know, contributions from, from the community on related to identity. So attaching credentials like is insured, is licensed, you know, five-star rating, whatever, being able to attach that to drivers and cars in a privacy preserving way, pre-configuring devices. So being able to like, you know, mint a thousand cars and connect autopies to them before you can go plug them in and just like, you know, give the box to a fleet manager who can then just go plug them in all the cars and get a bunch of cars in line all at once without having to go each one through mobile app. That requires some protocol side development first. Um, being multi-client, multi-node. So having more than just a demo mobile app as a, as a way to mint a car, having more than just digital infrastructure. Inc. is a place that can store and serve your data, having like the decentralized or self-store data. Uh, developer SDKs would be a big one. So making it e like super easy to build apps on top of Demo. And another thing that I think is gonna be important is host patron functionality. So if you want to finance the device for someone else and get the rewards or split the rewards and have the user like, you know, be able to separate the owner of the account who logs in and sees where the car is and manages its data separate from the wallet that receives the reward for whatever reason, even if you just like want to set a different wallet, that's got a hardware wallet. So you can be more confident in the, the demo being stored safely, uh, being able to kind right. of set the, the wallet that gets the rewards is something that, that we expect. Those are things that we hope will come in the near term. Um, at the app layer, I mean, there's, you know, but as I mentioned, like developer SDK coming up, developer relations is going to be a big thing. Uh, we, I'm really excited to see what people come in and want to build on this, whether it's like insurance where you pay per mile based on your, you know, and, and people think like, I don't want my insurance knowing that I'm speeding. It's like, well, a lot of times they just want to know how many miles, miles you're driving because that's a big determinant, you know? So it was like pay per mile insurance or DeFi auto loans or Web3 Uber or peer-to-peer -peer car sharing. There's so many different things that people could build on top of Demo. We're launching a few fun things in the mobile app soon around error codes and being able to decode what's going on with your car and recommendations of what to do. We just added your mechanic as a partner so you can have a mechanic come to you and, and fix it once you do get that Super error cool. code. Um, uh, yeah, but those are some of the things I'm uh, excited about. Awesome. Where would you like us to direct our 
listeners too, in terms of learning more about Demo, you know, getting engaged, any kind of yeah. preferences there? The website is demo.zone. To join the Discord, it's chat.demo.zone. Uh, from the website, you can find links to the store to buy the hardware device. Uh, if you if you have a car that's more you know that's newer that has a software like you have like an app on your phone that lets you connect to your car you can probably log in with the same credentials to connect to your car to demo right now like in second you know in seconds yeah um demo underscore network on twitter that's where we post a lot of updates but yeah you could probably start in any one of those places and find the rest of them pretty easily download the app demo mobile on your phone too there we go also that yeah we'll link all of that or the majority of it in the show notes but rob thank you for coming on it's been a pleasure and definitely stay safe out there on days like today thanks i appreciate it thanks rob Um, have a good one cool take care guys